1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Continuing the trend, for those of you that have been following along with my career journey on the podcast, you may have noticed that I've had some guests on my show that have been integral at different stages to my career journey. And my next one, Jamal J. Salim is certainly one of them. He was the head of HR when I was over at Boombox, which is now Ergo Interactive. It was a short stop in my career before I moved over to Vayner, but it was critical as I learned a ton in those few short months about myself, tough ass clients, and finding success inside a small agency. More importantly, I made a lasting friendship and powerful business connection with my man, Jay. Jay currently is the VP of HR over at Complex. Yep, I said it Complex, where he is leading the culture of the company, synonymous with culture. It's just a badass company. Prior to Complex, Jay led the HR Department of Laundry Service, an ad age top 10 agency, two years in a row, and Cycle Media. Like me, he is Brooklyn-born, him and he's Flatbush, and me in Sheepshead Bay, a little further south, which we both take a lot of pride in. He is Brooklyn.
0: also in Brooklyn. That's right,
1: and Jay is also a veteran, most importantly, a veteran of the U.S. Army, having served in Operation Iraqi Freedom, another aspect of him that I hold in the highest regard. And when he's not building an empire over a Complex, or rooting for the Brooklyn Nets. Sorry about that playoff loss. You could find them sourcing the universe for the hottest kicks or being front and center at the private Jay Z concert. I love this dude, and I'm sure you will as well. Jay, welcome
0: to the podcast. You made me sound a lot cooler than I actually am, man. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> impressed. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: man. So, so, why, so, why don't we jump in? Why don't we give my tribe a little bit of your origin story? Tell us, you know, real quick, you know, where you come from. You know, we know you come from Brooklyn, but how you got to where we are today, man
0: it's really untraditional like i didn't go to college until i was t- like 26 27 something like that it's crazy so uh essentially right after high school is literally right after 911 i joined the army and um a few months later i was uh, sent packing to iraq did a year out there spent 6 years total in the military and got out in my early 20s uh, uh early to mid 20s and didn't know what i wanted to do with my life right. and Uh, working a lot of blue collar jobs, man. You know, um, everything from delivering rock salt to bouncing at nightclubs that were like super seedy. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) We'll save that Um, for a different
0: podcast. Yeah. 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 That's the, uh, you know, this is family friendly. So we'll keep it. Um, uh, you know, all that led to a job as a doorman on the upper East side of Manhattan. And, uh, it was a unionized building, and when I got there, uh, they didn't have a union shop steward. Their union rep was out to lunch, and they were in the middle of uh, negotiating a new collective bargaining bargaining agreement. So they uh, essentially first week they were like, "Hey, I read this." They hand me the CBA. I'm reading through it, and I'm like, "Yo, are we getting this, this, this?" No, no, no. Yo, we're getting fucked, and I right. mean, I'm getting fucked now. Like, we got to do something about this. So long story short, second week they voted me to union shop steward, and uh, from there, you know, that's how I found my calling for labor relations. Negotiated a co- uh, couple of uh, collective bargaining agreements, and then um, uh, started using my uh, GI bill from the from the military to go to college for organizational uh-huh. management. Um, my oh. my career path was going to be actually becoming an actual union rep versus a shop steward, uh, and then. Uh, uh, something changed my life, man. Um, someone that you and I are both familiar with, John Hendricks, who is the CEO of uh, Boombox. Um, you go. And now Ergo, sorry. <laughs> what up, John? How you doing, man? Um, he uh, saw something in me. I built a relationship with him. I was his doorman. Um, and he uh, essentially moved out of the building, asked for my resume as he was leaving. And then two months later, he sent me an email that changed my life, man. He said essentially, hey, my HR manager, the things aren't really working out. Would you want a career change? And I always knew I wanted a, a career, not a job. Um, and I was a hell of a doorman, but it's, uh, I bet. it's a demeaning job. You know what I mean? So uh, I took him up on his offer. And that's how I got it. Uh, how I got my start in advertising. And, and
1: that's that's a crazy story. And that's what I talk about all the time. Like everyone has got a different journey and a different path. And that, you know, it, it's been an amazing career. I mean, I've been I've been following. You know, I'm a number one fan over here. And you you and I are boys here now. Let, let's dig back into the military experience, right? I want to dig on that for a little bit. And I've seen your photos in in Baghdad and Iraq <laughs> and raiding Saddam's palaces, which is pretty crazy. But like, what experience from the military do you feel really made you best suited? For, for being in this world of HR. What like what ta- like looking back on it now, right? It's been how long? It's been like yeah. 20 years. Like looking back on that and you're like, shit, I didn't even realize back then that I had these skills and I had these pieces in me that have made me who I am today. So what- it, it,
0: it, the main thing, there are a couple of things, I think. Um a sense of duty and responsibility, right? And the ability not to and I preach this to my team all the time. The standard is at this level, you know, it's right here. If you meet the standard, that's fine, right? You're right. going to keep your job. But if you want to progress, you have to exceed the standard. That's something that they teach in the military all the time: going above and beyond, exceeding the standard. And that's something that's been instilled in me and has allowed me to really impress, you know, the decision makers in my career to be like, holy shit, this guy is, has a will to win. It's work ethic, will to win, loyalty. Yeah. Man. These are things. These are things that you can't
1: teach. But if you if you feel that you don't have them. You could, you could build on it like if you have the self awareness. There's some people out there that don't have it in them like you, in spades right. Like I got the tenacity angle right, but if you don't have it, you could you could find it and you could harness it because that's the shit that's going to elevate you whether it be in your career getting to that next level or or in your job search here. So you know talent better than anyone. You've been preaching a lot about recruiting and, and specifically emphasizing talent over experience. Let's unpack a little. Yeah. Let's unpack that a little bit. Tell everyone listening what that means. You know what does
0: yeah. Yes. So I've hired plenty of people in my career who had spot on experience. But when you get there, they were either assholes or um, their personality didn't mess with mesh with the team or they didn't possess that, uh, you know, willingness to go above and beyond. And it almost always never works. So the first thing I look at, I I ask behavioral questions and such as. you know such as how do you how do you react in a situation where you're pressed for time how do you react when you are overwhelmed how do you prioritize how do you handle stress um i want to get a gauge on how they look at things from that angle before i delve into the you know okay are you able to punch this key and make this happen right? right like skills always can be taught attitude and ability cannot so let me let me ask you this
1: question, right? So one of your one of your questions is interesting. It's how do you how do you handle stress? And everyone handles that differently. But how do you flush out someone who's giving you a bullshit answer versus someone who's being genuine? Like, so if you ask me that question, so if you ask me that question, like Adam, how do you handle stress? I have I have two different things. The real deal, man, is sometimes I handle stress differently each time that stress comes my way based on that type of level of stress. Some mm-hmm. stress, I I can just handle it, I can take it. I could let it out a different way, whether it be you know just blowing it off or prioritizing. And sometimes I'm like, "Fuck, this thing is stressing the shit out of me," and I'm mm. going to kill somebody. I'm going to throw a chair at somebody. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to explode. <laughs> here. So, so how does someone an- answer answer that truthfully? Where it's you're and being like, "All right, that's a truthful answer," and whether I agree with it or not, at least they're telling me the truth.
0: It's the same way I handle reference checks, and I'll give you a, a pro tip on that in a second. But it's essentially not asking general questions, but asking specific questions. Okay. I'll start off with a general question. How do you handle stress? If you give me a good answer, I might move on. But if I feel like you're just giving me a, you know, a a general generic. I go for a walk. I do push-ups. I'd be like, okay, give me a specific example of when you were stressed out in the workplace and what you did to combat it. And then from there, that's where the skill of being a good interviewer comes in because you're not just analyzing the words, you're also analyzing the body language, of how, they re- how they answer the question, right? Um, and, it, and it's the same approach I take to reference checks. A lot of people, when they do reference checks, they let the candidate dictate the references. I am the one who usually asks for specific references. So yeah. not give me three people, give me a, a supervisor, no. During my time interviewing you, I learned this about this job. I learned this about that job. I want to speak to this specific person. And huh. if you tell me, no, you can't, here's why. You better tell you, why. You, you usually learn a lot more from that answer than from talking to a reference that's been coached already.
1: I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with that. And then here's the other thing, and I talk a lot about this with my clients. When you're asking for reference, no one's going to, to your point exactly, no one's going to give you a shitty reference. Of course not. I ain't putting John Hendricks down as my reference. I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, no way at all. I mean, I mean, that's not John. <laughs> we love you, John. But, but keep keeping it real. I mean, listen. I mean, yeah. for you, Jay keeps it real, and I think that's your mo. And I think that's what everyone loves about you. Now, talk about how you use this approach to HR. How do you always keep it real, whether it be with with your employees, with your staff, with your colleagues, with your supervisors, and with
0: talent? How do you keep it real? authenticity, man. It's something I learned from, uh, you know, Jason Stein and working at laundry service. He was, Mm -hmm. uh, that culture was built around being authentic and not just the content we were creating, but the culture internally. And we allowed people to express their individuality. We wanted true diversity in the workplace. And he encouraged me because, you know, the, the culture at, at Boombox and ergo, um, didn't have a lot of room for people to kind of be themselves. And I love John dearly, but you know, it was kind of a cult of personality built around John. Right. Um, Jason, on the other hand, was very um, encouraging in in the respect of, Hey, we want you to be yourself. And especially with me being the kind of person overseeing the culture, he was like, be yourself, man. people want to view you as a person. And I've learned that to be really true. Like people usually view HR uh, through the prism of being an an authoritarian or someone that they see when they either want money or they're in trouble. (laughs) Um, And I've been able to show people like, Hey, I can be a mentor to you. I can be um, someone just to shoot the shit. I'm a real person too. Without ever crossing, but it is a tricky line to cross.
1: Right. It's a great space. Like you want to be friends with people, but you're also, you're, you're that intermediary between, you know, decision makers, process,
0: regulation. Right. You can be real, but you don't have to necessarily be friends. You know what I mean? You can gain people's respect, their trust by being yourself. I'm someone who has a lot of life experience. I talk about that life experience. Sometimes it's personal experience, whether it was the military or, you know, Getting divorced or, you know, stuff that a lot of, especially young professionals have relate to it. experience and they want to learn and they want to, they want to uh, talk to people who can add value to their life. And, and I
1: think, I, I think that's, I think that's a tremendous point for, for anyone who's in HR because I, I, you know, I, I interact with HR folks all day long and it's about them being now we talk a lot about building diversity and an authentic and, and a diverse fabric within an organization, but it also starts with HR it's a balance of being Absolutely. transparent. It's a balance of being transparent and keeping it real with people and letting them know where they stand and not sugarcoating and shit. And I think that's really what's important is to, cause you want, you want to be a, a trusted advisor. You want to be a confidant when you need to. And, and importantly, and I think this is an interesting dynamic as well. The old school is, you know, HR was aligned with senior management, but I think it's about being um, an advocate for employees and being, exactly. being on their side to the a point. point. Like if you They fuck up do. and they're wrong. Right. Then you yeah. got to put them in line and take care of shit. But like, for the most part, you're looking out. You're looking out for your people.
0: You have to be both, right? You have to align with business goals, and you have to, you know, um, be a partner to senior management. But you also have to be able to call them on their bullshit as well. Whenever they're doing something that's affecting the staff. Um, and having that on those honest conversations uncomfortable conversations right. radical right. candor it's on both sides with the, with the employees but also also with senior uh, executives i've been lucky enough to have senior executives that have been willing to hear that from me it's not always have, true and it's not always true right, right? you as hr you're only empowered to do what your C, uh, ceo or owner allows you to do right you know, if they're going to shit can you for being honest with them, then you know what, that, that culture is always going to be fucked up. But if you have open-minded leaders who are willing to listen to constructive feedback, and you're going to be a credible source because you're the voice of the people.
1: It starts at the top, and I preach this all the time. I Absolutely. Mean, one of, the, one of the, the buzzwords, one of the expressions that I hate is culture fit. That means you're trying to fit people into something. And for me, it's really about finding a a cultural diversity and a cultural mix. And I believe cultural transformation starts at the top. It's having the senior leadership buy-in and not just say, oh shit, we've been in an organization for a hundred years. It's an all boys club. We got to change that. We need to hire more diversity hires. I hate that. I hate that. It's about building a fabric, building. And diversity doesn't mean, hey, let's just hire more people. It doesn't mean anything. It's about no hiring people with different different perspectives personalities exactly and i think that's a common misconception that people have here and i have a lot of clients that say to me you know off the record they're like hey we need to hire more diversity hires i'm like i cringe i just they're they're just
0: trying to Uh, check off a box
1: exactly i want to hire the right people whether it be black brown purple i don't give a shit what they are and if
0: exactly
1: exactly man so yeah, definitely, man. What else do you have to say about that?
0: No, no, I was about to say, we recently started a diversity committee at Complex, and we've been having a lot of these conversations. And it's not just about placating to certain groups or making sure you're meeting a certain quota with you know certain uh, races and you know, uh, right. genders. It's really about everybody within the company having a voice, everybody being represented, and having a modicum of influence on the culture themselves. It's not just for the people, man. It's yeah. not for leadership. It's not for any one person. It's for the entirety. Uh, Absolutely.
1: And what is Complex doing well around that? Where do you find the success? I mean,
0: it is the most diverse workforce I've ever worked. Uh, more than laundry way.
1: service?
0: Way more than laundry service. And laundry service was pretty diverse too. I mean, right. I had a hand in that because I, you know, I got to laundry service when we were 50 people and helped build it up to 500. So I helped build that workforce. I inherited this workforce, and right. it is much more diverse. And that's one things, One of the beauties of complex, I think, is it's always been a uh, a place that values diversity prior to my arrival, and that's a testament to Rich. Cool. Uh, uh, Rich, yeah, fellow CEO of Complex, who. Uh, is an amazing person and dear friend and really, really, really values uh, diversity. That's, that's uh, great. And doesn't, and doesn't just talk it, he walks the walk.
1: Walk the walk, man, yeah. I mean, I say the same thing about Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Like, like just walking, yeah. people see him from the outside. I'm like, no, he's a real deal. He, he practices what he preaches, especially around culture. So let's, let's switch gears for a little bit and, and dig in yeah, a, little, a, little, a little nuts and bolts here um, into the hiring process. And you and I were talking about this a little bit before I hit record here but in your opinion, you know, what what do you see as broken in the hiring process? What are are some of the pieces that Uh, you see outside perspective and what have you done to correct them through various points, you know?
0: Too many cooks in the kitchen sometimes, you know? Um, If you have too many people who are voicing their opinion and you're never gonna get consensus and everybody's looking for the perfect fit and it's really about getting 90% there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, knowing what you're flexible on the 10% and being willing to teach and mentor a lot of hiring managers, they come to me, they're swamped. They need some help right away. And they're not willing to put in the time or effort to grow people. And I always try to coach them and say, listen, you're not going to get a plug and play fit every time you're not. It's going to take some effort on your part to coach and mentor and train uh, the people. And it's worth it. Cause you put that, Work in upfront; it will pay off on the back end. Mm-hmm. I do it all the time with my team. I love giving people who have limited experience uh, opportunities on my team. Because Give enough rope, man. Absolutely, because you you get to teach them the way to do things and the right way, and they don't have these bad habits. And you know, you get to watch them grow, and that's the most rewarding part about HR, man. It's you know, it's why I do this, like, you're, you're a good position. example, like being hiring you and we have a lifelong friendship now. And sure. I have that with a lot of people because I was able to give people opportunities um, because I was given an opportunity and I was a lot forward. Absolutely. Right. Like
1: you, you, you're now practicing what was taught to you throughout your career with people giving you that chance. And I think that's a fundamental piece of of, of relinquishing control and letting people learn on the fly. And people are going to make mistakes, and that's what's critical. Like, listen, what we're doing is not brain surgery, man, right? Like, one slip slip of my knife is not, you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be detrimental. So we spoke a lot about what works, what doesn't work. And, you know, I mentioned before in the upfront that you're a huge Brooklyn Nets fan, you know, where where Ah. we're still getting a little playoff loss. And you make a great analogy about how they went, you know, how they went about rebuilding, similar to your team. Your building approach, please talk everyone through here about this analogy. Building a team
0: and the <laughs> well, it, it's really about a lot of what I admire about them is they built the system first and then they found the players to fit the system. It's something that I, admi- I admired about the uh Oh, four Pistons, too. I don't know if you remember that team with Rashid Ah, okay. So, for the listeners, the 04 Pistons yep. they were kind of like a a bunch of castaways from different teams that there wasn't. Oh, was the Rodman? Was that the Rodman years? No, no, that was after the Rodman years. It was uh, with uh, Rashid Wallace, Ben Wallace, uh, Anse Billups. But yeah, you are. You're old as shit, but it's okay. <laughs> so am I. Um, <clears throat> but essentially, building the system first and finding the right people versus relying on one superstar like LeBron, and then he leaves and your team's fuck. Look at mm-hmm. look at the Cavs now, like. That's what I really loved about what Brooklyn did. And it's something, and this is a crazy story that I've told before, but uh, I don't think I've said it on a podcast. When I was young, um, I used to play a lot of Madden, right? Oh yeah. But I would never play the game. What I would do is I'd start a franchise mode, right? And I would take a team. A lot of times they were like the teams that were in the shitter. And I would just like add pieces to the team right so i would simulate the season go into free agency in the draft and i would think about what type what type of team i want to build and like add pieces to it and draft the right oh, no. players based on the system like your fantasy league. i would simulate it right and that that's what i got a kick out of and i i didn't realize it at the time but i would that was like the building blocks for team building in general and now i get to do that at complex, you know what I mean? Like look at the organizational structure, mm-hmm. where are we going, what system do we want in place and find the right people to fit the system.
1: I, lo- I love that analogy, man, I talk about it all the time. I, I-, I play fantasy football and I play fantasy baseball and I-, and I love when I come into a company and they say, hey, we just want a new piece of business and we gotta staff this baby up. I- there's nothing yeah. better than me. And like, all right, we need to start. It's like a piece of clay, man, and you're molding it. And you're like, hey. and I get to kind of fit that. Per- I'm like, all right, I just hired the director, and I know this person's soft skills and what kind of personality they have. Let's find that. Let's find a nice, you know, yin and yang to that shit, dude. That's awesome. So, let's let's get a little bit personal here. All right, I'm an Maybe. open book, baby. The what is the greatest success that you've had in your career? Well, let no, let's flip that. Let's flip that. What is the greatest failure that you've had in your career, and what have you learned from it? Ooh. Oh, man.
0: That's a tough question. Um, <clears throat> uh, I would say not starting my career sooner, honestly. um, I feel like I'm always playing catch up uh because I, key, man i I no, I feel like I could be much further because I started so late in my life, right not not finding my calling sooner. Um, I didn't find my calling till, dude, four years ago, man. Yeah, but I, like, I, cause I was a knucklehead as a kid, man. <laughs> I really was. Like, you know, uh, I'm open about it. Like, I used to get in a lot of trouble and ran with gangs. I used to write graffiti. Like, not listening when I was a kid, it, it, it set me back years. And I feel like if I would have, I would, and this isn't necessarily pertinent to my career, but when I was in. Uh, fifth grade right I was offered the opportunity to uh, take a test that would allow me to get a scholarship at this private school called poly prep I know poly prep in Brooklyn no poly prep right so all the poly prep kids I I took the test but I failed it on purpose Hmm. because I wanted to go to the same school as my friends and I didn't realize it at the time but I always look back at it now as an adult with regret and was like, if I would have took that test seriously and went to poly prep and had better influences, I probably wouldn't have gotten in as much trouble as I did when I was a, uh, Uh, a teenager and probably wouldn't have joined the military and probably would have started my career sooner. So that's one of the things I look back.
1: But you wouldn't have had those calluses and learnings and life experiences that get you where you are now. We we could all, we could all look back on that. Like one of the things I always look back on, I got accepted to to university of Buffalo with, with a partial scholarship into the business school. So essentially it was a five-year MBA program and I came in freshman year and literally just Mm -hmm. do what everyone does freshman year college. I, I, I fucked it all up and I could have had a five-year MBA and I look back on that and saying, shit, if I only, yeah. if I only took that seriously, but you know what, man? And I, I say this all the time, like, don't keep looking backwards, man. It's going to break your fucking neck. Like, like, yeah, just, you're right. Like shit, right. Like always look forward. So, so let's go. Into- to, and
0: sorry, I have, I have, keep keep going, man. I'm, in, I'm in HR. There are some like really great stories. I could probably tell like that a, <laughs> a bit more pertinent to uh, my current career, but, uh, I am unfortunately uh you know uh, I have to be confidential and close vault I man. I can't disclose certain things but you know uh if any of your listeners want to grab a beer and hear some great stories I'd be more than happy to do so.
1: We'll, we'll have all uh, his contact information. Uh, so you're you ready for some rapid fire?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Shoot.
1: Favorite member of the Wu-Tang Clan.
0: Ooh, that's easy. Uh it was uh Ghostface. Like Ghostface is one of my favorite rappers of all time. Um Supreme Clientele is in my top five albums of all time. We even actually have a conference room here. Uh named named Supreme Clientele. <laughs> I, I was able to scream. Um, but yeah, yeah go, go spy my. Yeah, I'm
1: I'm am I'm a Jizza fan.
0: You get behind GZA, that one. Oh man, I love Jiz. Like, to me, he was like the smartest member of the group. Like no, the Rizza was like the, the mastermind. Yeah, uh, the RZA seemed like a little too aloof, though. You know what I mean? Like the Jizza was like smart, but also down to earth and kind of great. I, I love mm-hmm. I-, I love them all, but uh, that- that's a good choice. I- nice man, can't go wrong if with any of them except if you for all,
1: yeah, inspect the deck.
0: <laughs> and you got a master killer, man. They feel like the redheaded stepchildren. Somewhere. it's like the
1: bench word. So you could only listen to one for the rest of your life jay and oz
0: oh jay here's the thing man jay's body of work is night and day better but no album jay made was better than illmatic i make this argument all the time number one
1: classic queensbridge
0: i I think it's not just the greatest hip-hop album of all time i think it should be up there with the greatest pieces of music ever So with with the Beatles and like Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club and stuff like that, like it should be on that level when people think about the greatest pieces of music of all time, because I don't think any piece of music captured what it meant to be in a certain environment better than Illmatic. You know what I mean? Being in the nineties, being from New York bridge and the projects, all you have to do is listen to that album and it transports you, man. It, it's like a fucking time machine. It's crazy. Awesome, man. So two questions
1: here to wrap this up that I ask every guest on the podcast. Jay, what is your superpower? I'm not asking you know, if you could be invisible or you know, crazy strength or anything, but what is your superpower that makes you fucking who you are?
0: Uh, emotional intelligence, I think. Um, uh, my, uh, one of my old bosses, uh, Jordan Fox, we uh, used to always joke, uh, joke that I had uh, legendary soft skills. So, and I learned I learned this as a doorman, believe it or not. Like you, growing up in Brooklyn, you know how to like game and <clears throat> know when somebody's bullshitting you. But when I was a doorman, like it was a residential building with uh hundred and seventy units and probably four hundred different personalities. Right? Yeah, it's a big building. So you have to be able to adjust your personality and read people and read different types of personalities because the same person that you know wants to shoot the shit with you about the nicks isn't the same way you interact with somebody who you know that rich stuck-up prick who just wants to pretend you don't exist right so you have to be able to adjust who you are and how you communicate uh to the personality that you're talking to and i kind of sharpened that skill there and it served me well in hr and i'm able to kind of read a person's body language and what they're saying and what's the reason behind what they're saying and kind of put all of those things together and um, able to react accordingly. It's, it, it is a skill. It's a chameleon skill, man. And
1: I, and I think, Word. And, and I may offend people here, but us from the five boroughs in Brooklyn, like that's how we're raised. And it's, a, it's a street smarts that really translate into the business world that make us savvy, Absolutely. that make us, you know, be able to really read people. And it helps, especially in HR where, Absolutely. We, we, could, we could be a chameleon, we could play up, we could play down, but we also could suss out the truth and authenticity. So I'm going to wrap it up with this one. Jay, when things are good, things are great and you're showing gratitude, you're having a, a great day, things are going well in life or the opposite, you know, shitty day, shitty month, things aren't going well. What is your North Star? What do you look to?
0: Um, I look to where I came from and how hard, I, I, I do this, right? Like I look at Uh, A lot of people I grew up with, what they're doing and the decisions that they made that led them, you know, uh, to work jobs that they hate and stuff like that. And I always try to remain humble and appreciative of the opportunities that I have. Um, Even when it's hard, even when I'm having a shitty day, even when, because shitty day it's crazy here, you know, like everywhere. But I always try to take that step back and be like, okay, you know, I could still be burning barrels of shit in iraq like i was in 2001 and i literally did that for three weeks straight burned human shit for three weeks um jesus i you know i could you know still be on that fucking truck delivering rock salt sweating my balls off or you know and it's nothing wrong with that but you know this is what i wanted to do and i have to always remain appreciative because at the end of the day, you know, I grew up, I was a hood rat from Flatbush, man. And uh, I was able to work and climb and claw to get to where I am. And, you know, I always keep that hunger inside of me to make sure that I remain there because I never want to get comfortable or complacent, man, because love that's it. when you die. You know what I mean?
1: I love it, dude. You know, keep, keep it real as always. Jay, I, I can't thank you enough. So, man, that was that was some good shit, man. So wrapping it up here, people. You know, my network is my strongest asset. And I talk about this all the time. It's my freaking ace in the hole, my go to and I never burned bridges, and Jay could attest to that, that I could have napalmed that fucking bridge, but I did not, and I kept it. And you never- you almost
0: I did. Did. I did. You almost did. i I'm almost not did. tell that story. We'll say that story. I had to talk you off a fucking ledge.
1: Literally, off the fire escape. But, <laughs> but you never, because the point is, because you never know when you're gonna have to cross those bridges again, and these are the traits that have been ingrained to me since I was young by my parents, who weren't even in business, but they were teachers, and they taught me the values about loyalty, and staying close with good people. So maybe it was Brooklyn thing, or maybe it was my gut, but I knew right when I met Jay for the first time that this dude was legit, and he was always going to keep it real, and he has, and he always will with me. And we've developed pretty cool relationships since I last worked with him. And that was five years ago. We still talk shop, we talk life, and we look out for each other. And you know what? It's cool to do both. You can be friends, and you can do business with people. And you know what? That's what it's all about. It's about finding that harmony, being upfront, and being transparent. Jay knows when I'm pitching him, when I'm trying to get business from him, and he knows when I'm just checking in with him to... Check in, see how he's doing, or just commiserate about the Nets. He knows the difference, and that's the way we keep it real. And many people find it hard to find that balance. And for some, it comes naturally, like us. And if you can't, just keep it business. That's it. Just keep it business so there's Mm -hmm. no gray areas. But find yours, and I implore you implore you to keep it real, keep it authentic, and always bring your best self, and you will always win. If you keep it real, you'll always win, and you'll never have to fucking fake it. Play the long game as it's the only game and stop being transactional, people. Build bridges and not walls. I thank Jay for our friendship and letting, <laughs> letting him occasionally <laughs> try to sell him some business and, and just <laughs> continue to learn from him. I love you, dude. Jay, where could folks connect with you? Brother. Where could they connect with you? Where could they find
0: uh, you? Uh, on social, Twitter, Facebook. You can hit me on uh, at Jay Flatbush um jay flatbush so mm-hmm. yeah hit me up there i do a lot of recruiting on social too so um it's a good place to get my attention for sure
1: you got a great instagram you should follow it jay thank you so much i i you know you got a special 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 place in my heart let's keep it let's hey, going Love you, brother and to everyone listening thank you again for joining us on the podcast please be sure to follow us on all the social social media channels links will be below when I get this out there subscribe comment network remember take your online offline thank you for joining us and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast
0: wisdom is forever but for us it's time to go thank you for joining us luckily we'll be back with our next episode jam-packed with more incredible humans for more info please visit www.nhptalentgroup.com.